So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. I am glad that you're here. Gosh, dang it. You know, I've missed the last couple weeks. I've been closing on properties. And so I want to apologize to all my uh, listeners that you are just so amazing. And uh, I dropped the ball. I kind of got, I let work get in the way. And so, um, but I've got some great stories to tell and uh, we're gonna, I'm actually gonna do some some pain stories. Uh, and what recently I just went through and um, I think it'll open up some light to, you know, structuring deals and why you gotta have really good people surrounding you. Um, so in this episode, we're gonna really talk about uh, why it's important to have a great legal team. Legal teams uh, can make or break you in the business. Before we start, though, let's do a couple little things, right? One first thing that I always love to do is uh, uh, testimonials or shout-outs. Now, um, I can't, I don't have my laptop on me, so I'm not going to uh, give one out live today, but I just want to say um, I love it when you do go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review and really talk about the podcast. It helps a lot. It helps in rankings. And, um, you know, we want to get this message out to as many people as possible. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, if you're just starting, you're new to the podcast, make sure you go to kahunawealthbuilders.com and download my um, free um, quick start workshop. It's a place where you can get a lot of information on the apartments. We're going to give you um, how to raise private money, how to find deals, how to get deal flow. And let me kind of get you into my process. So with that said, let's get started. I'm so excited. Um, so... I just recently closed a $10 million deal in Yuma, Arizona, right? A $10 million purchase. How cool is that? Listen, you know, I'm nothing special, promise you that. But Big Kahuna just closed $10 million deal. And, um, and you can too. And so the anatomy of that deal, so that deal didn't go so smooth. In fact, my last two deals have not gone smooth and so it's not normal but like in this business it's real estate anything can happen and so i want to talk about why it's important to have a great legal team and so let me explain what that means first so who should you have on your legal team okay one of the first things you got to have is is like your contract guy right um, this is usually the person who will redline your LOIs and, 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 and PSAs, purchase and sells contracts or agreements, right? Um, usually you, we, we have a templated 
contract that we try to use every time unless the seller is just insistent on using their contract. Now, we don't like it when they use their contract, but sometimes we have to use it. That's okay. But typically, we will put in our LOI language that, and letter, LOI stands for letter of intent. That language will say that we will submit our contract to the seller. And so we have basic language in there. But so you want to have an attorney that is very well, like their mainstream of business is just that, doing contracts, legal contracts for real estate and redlining LOIs, redlining uh, purchase and sell agreements, redlining lenders docs and closing docs, like survey title and stuff like that. Usually one attorney can do kind of all that stuff for you. So that's one attorney that you'll need. The other uh, lawyer or attorney that you'll need is your private placement or syndication lawyer. And so we have a couple great referrals for that. Um, you know, so um, if you'll go to our, our website, I think we have uh, our team of people that we, that we use and recommend. But with that said, so here's what happened in the last two deals that we were a part of. And, and so I want to kind of set it up and tell the story because these things, I, I can't make this stuff up, right? And this is really what happens in deals. So the first deal, I'm going to back up to my first deal, University Crossings. We closed that about a month and a half ago. Um, and that's in uh, Columbus, Georgia, a $5 million purchase student housing project. Now, when we first went under contract with that property, uh, it was at like 94% occupancy. And so, actually, no, it was at nine, like it was right at 91, 92, 91, 92. It was just enough for us to say, hey, I think we could probably get permanent financing with, with what's called agency debt, right? Freddie or Fannie loans, Freddie, those products, right? Those are typically the best. Uh, loan terms that you can get with the best length and flexibility. And so that's the loan that we, we most desired. Well, guess what happened? Right in the middle of the lease up, uh, because it's student housing, you know, it's really prevalent on their pre-leasing towards the school year. So like we were supposed to close right in August. But what happened is in June and July, they didn't have the leases required to get that 90% threshold. And actually they ended up at the start of the school year at 89%. Well, 89% was not enough to get our 90% requirement from our Freddie and Fannie uh, lender. And so all of a sudden, all the work and all the effort we were working on towards closing was now kiboshed, right? And Really, we felt like because they were at 9192, you know, the seller was to blame. They didn't really, and we even offered to help them get it pre-leased, get those leases signed for the next school year. They had dragged their feet. Thus, they created a problem with our financing. Now, cue in where you need to have legal help, okay? Now, it's important not only to have an attorney that is good, right, in understanding and writing contract law, but he's actually got to be pretty good at negotiating with the other attorneys from the seller's side. And so we're actually going to have my attorney, his name's Mitch, 
Mitch is going to be on, on the podcast shortly. We've got him queued up to go. We're going to talk about this deal. So, like, don't worry. We're going to talk about it more in detail from his perspective of what really goes on because the legal wrangling is it's quite it's quite it's funny. It's it's what lawyers do. I think it's how they make their money. Um, now, caveat to this, right? When you're trying to find this attorney, you do not want to be billed by the hour. Don't accept billing by the hour, okay? Try to find, with my attorney, Mitch, we have kind of like some thresholds. If it gets to this piece, if it gets this far, and if we finish and close, three different distinct ways we pay, right? So we are paying for the job totally done, not for the hourly requirements because it could get extreme. Sometimes if you're dealing with a tough other legal attorney, that if they go back and forth and have to keep communicating, it can get super expensive. And so we try to mitigate that risk by saying, hey, listen, we want to give all our business to this one attorney, but we want to have more fixed pricing so we don't overrun our cost, right? That's called smart negotiating. And most attorneys, if you will say you're going to be a repeat customer, like that's very customary, right? So in that process, we have to call Mitch. You're like, Mitch, you know, we need to go back to the seller. And so there's this thing called leverage, leverage. And you either have it or you don't when you're in a contract. And so when you go to a point where you're hard, your leverage becomes less and less. And so a lot of times we have to make it um, appear that we still have leverage, even though we don't really have it. And that was the case of this deal. So even though they screwed up on the leasing, we are still in a contract where our money is hard and we're supposed to close in like 30 days. But now our whole financing is um, off track we now have to get what's called a bridge loan. And a bridge loan is more expensive and and it takes more, it's like starting from scratch from the beginning on day one. Now this is a, a real problem. So what we really need is an extension. And so to get that extension, you, we, we had to be creative in the story that we're telling. So we really had to try to prove that like the seller had harmed us and that you know, uh, if they really wanted to close, which now at the end of the day, we both wanted to close. And so we had to like talk about what was really going on and have really frank conversations. And we did that through our attorneys. And eventually we all got together on a group call and that's when we hammered it out and just like agreed to some stuff. Right. And what it took for me, for me was I had to give up uh, about like $15,000 in order to get my 30 day extension. Now that's a no brainer. That was for, in this particular deal, it was very easy for me to give up the 15,000, even though that they'd harmed us, right? So even though truly it was maybe more their fault, at the end of the day, the, the $15,000 expense of me making four or $5 million in five years, I'm not going to sweat $15,000, okay? And neither should you. We already had all the money lined up to close. We're fully funded. And it's like, let's just go do the deal. So as we got into the deal, um, that extension was crucial, right? So you had to get crucial components to work. Now, here's what happened that made it worse, is as we're going through now the bridge product, the lender for that, which is kind of almost the same agency, but it's their bridge component, they were getting buried. They were working at a lot slower pace 
than what's normal. And we really had to crank up the fire to get them to perform and close. And in fact, we actually had to get another like two week extension. And so those are like moments that you don't ever want to have, but it like, sometimes it happens in this business. And I'd like to say it's part for the course, but like, we try not to ever like have to amend our contracts, especially when you are hard, right? You, you're, you're usually negotiating at a strength of, uh, of weakness. There is no strength, it's, it's weakness. Unless you understand leverage and how to really, like if you look at the stakeholders, the seller really wants to get their money. The broker really wants to get his commission. And so, and if you can demonstrate that you are truly a good buyer, and that's the lever that we used, is that we have a history of closing, okay? Everybody write that down. History of closing is very, very valuable. And we had that record. And we'd actually transacted with the same broker on a previous deal. So he knows that our history of closing was very good. And he had a really good experience with us the last closing. We had no hiccups and no problems. So if that's the case, right? So then we're going into the next deal or this deal. And, and so at the end of the day, they gave us because now, wouldn't under, again, it's nothing that we did. A lot of times in this business, it's what your other people will do like your other parties. So the lenders, like they're lenders. I can't control how fast they order stuff. I can give them all the paperwork, but at the end of the day, they have to work and expedite to close our loan. And so, and they don't care about your contract. They just don't. They work at what I call lender speed. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's really bad. And this just happened to be a really bad experience. And so, but having the right legal can help mitigate the process because what we're trying to do is have a lawyer that can understand the written stuff. Like, so you want a nerd that can really get in detail the contracts, but you gotta have a, an attorney with some um, verbal communication skills to be able to negotiate with the other attorney and get them to say, hey, listen, at the end of the day, we're just trying to do this, right? And also, negotiating with the um, the broker. It's just as, uh, as important as to get the broker to buy into the concept as the seller, because the broker is representing the seller, and we need all the minds to be on the same page. And so we already know what the broker's incentive, he just wants to get paid. So we have to really ensure that, hey, listen, we're trying to get you a paycheck. We're trying to bring this thing to close for certainty, right? And so, um, that's, that's what all the stakeholders have involved in this deal. And that's why it's important to surround yourself with good legal. Okay, um, so I'm going to jump forward on my last deal. My last deal, um, Catalina Village, right? This is the $10 million purchase that I just happened like two weeks ago. $3.6 million raise of private equity, right? So we raised $3.6 million and, again, had another legal problem. And this one, again, was due to the lender. Now, hint, lenders can screw up your deals, okay? And so this one, we actually knew we were going to get a bridge loan from the start, from the start, but they had like slow played and dropped the ball. They weren't working like meticulously to get everything done. 
And not only that, is they, they hired an attorney from New York. So lender's counsel. Lender's counsel's attorney. I like to call her the spawn of Satan. <laughs> the spawn of Satan was like just looking at every document and getting into everything and acting like she was an expert. She started telling my PPM lawyer on how to write her PPM and how the operating agreement needs to say this and how it needs to do this. And, you know, we actually started having to push back on this chick because, like, she was just, she was hard to work with. And she was delaying our process. There was, like, and sometimes I'm going to say this. This is maybe bad to say, but, like, it's the truth, is that New York attorneys, I mean, they do get lenders, counsels, attorneys get paid by the hour, and they love to mark stuff and send it back for revisions because that means they're billing, like they're doing stuff. No, that's not right. It's missing a comma. What? Yeah, it's missing a comma. Send it back. Make the revision. Send it back. Just for that, I'm sure she charged like 15 minutes of her time. And so we had it, and it's insane um, just getting signature blocks, getting everything to be perfect exactly the way that she wanted it. Doesn't matter that my attorney said, hey, it's fine the way it is. It had to be to her liking. And because of that, we were missing our closing date. Now, this is when people can go crazy. And like the seller could truly say, hey, listen, you're supposed to close on this time. And if you don't close, I'm just going to take your $300,000 and roll. And the truth is they can. They absolutely can. So there was a moment of, you know, we had to show, like, luckily we got to, now, want to say when things like this happen, you've got to cover your bases. Write this down or say it out loud. Cover your bases. And so we saw that we were like, dude, we're going to not close on time. And really, we know it's because of legal that this thing is nothing. It's out of our control again. It's like our two attorneys, lender's attorney and our attorney, they're just like super not working together. And it's like taking a lot longer. In fact, they even get to my, my PPM attorney involved because of, and she's trying to, like this lender's counsel is really trying to be like the authoritarian I know all be all. And it's making all my other attorneys super frustrated. Now, at the end of the day, we all have to like suck it up and we got to make the lenders because the lender makes is calling the place here and we've got to make them happy. So we all had to suck it up and do like with the minimum that's required to make this chick happy, son, uh, spine of Satan, happy. And so we did, we did. But luckily, when we're going through this process, we're starting to see the things. We asked for an email from the lender, not the lender's attorney, just from the lender saying, hey, listen, can you like send us an email saying that because of legal that things are getting uh, you know, delayed and that we, we need like another two weeks extension. That needed to come from the lender's email to our inbox informing us of the problem. And we specifically asked for it, why? Because we needed to have leverage in order to go back to the seller and the seller's broker and say, listen, it's not us guys. It's not us asking for this. 
It's from the lender itself. Like they're saying it, not like we want to do your deal, but this is the reason why. And because of that, because the way we structured it, and then we actually had our attorney submit and queue it up to the broker and to the seller, right? Because so now it's not coming from Corey. So rule number one, right? Corey Peterson in this whole process is being like Corey Peterson should, and I'm just the buyer. I'm like in my little cubby hole over here all by myself because that's what sellers or buyers should do. You should act like your God and no one talks to you unless it's very, very important. So I only, there's two levers that I play. One is I'm like the bomb, right? So if they, when like things, things really get locked and it needs to be unlodged, they call in Corey and I'm like the grenade because I go in there and I just blow it up. I start, I'm not saying I I'm pro, use profanity, but maybe I do. <laughs> maybe I say a couple F-bombs to get like, to wake people up and say, dude, we need to get this crap done. Like, why am I on this call? And so I do it like with that ver, ver, veracity. I don't know if that's even a word, but like we'll use it. Because sometimes I've got to unlock the log jam. I've got to like create this big explosion that everybody can say, okay, we need to get back to work and find a solution. And then other times I'm there to be uh, just the good cop, right? So then my management company plays the bad cop. So does my attorneys. Everybody else communicates most of the stuff for me. It never comes from Corey Peterson's email unless it's truly, truly required. And that's the, the role you should always play in your negotiations. You're always gonna ne negotiate better when it's someone else negotiating for you. Most of the time, it's my legal and my management company on behalf of me, the client, and they are, they are arguing uh, for me for like, I'm the buyer. We represent the buyer and the buyer, this is the way his process is. And I only come in when it's absolutely necessary. And when you do that, it really creates the aura of that your company is important, that you're powerful, you don't get into the day-to-day -day minutia of crap, you have uh, lawyers, attorneys, uh, management company that do all that process for you. Now, as you guys well aware, like I run this thing from my house. It's not like I'm this big corporation, but if I'm buying stuff, you would never know. You would never know. You would think that Corey's stuff is like on lockdown. That's how you want to appear because you got to negotiate out of power. And so by surrounding yourself with great people, lawyers, your private placement lawyers, right? Your attorneys, those, those pieces are vital because truly at the end of the day, you know, you're trying to get to a close and you, I mean, hiccups are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. Things are going to happen that, that's truly out of your control. And when that happens, you've got to have a team that can pull together and then get whatever's necessary to make the deal work. And a lot of times it's, it's usually time. It's the most, the valuable commodity when you're closing the deal is time. Now, just so you know, and if you've listened to this podcast enough, we never try to like close quickly. We, we normally have like 30 
business day inspection periods. We, and after our inspection period, we have another 30 business day close. That's 90 days, by the way. And then we'll usually have another 30 regular calendar days extensions built into all our contracts. So that's like 120 days. That's a good amount of time. It's like four months to close on a property. And typically that's a, that's a really long, um, that's longer than most companies out there. Now, we don't try to deviate on that like at all and make any exceptions or any excuses for our timeline. There, every Almost every contract, they always push back and we push back harder. We will almost push back to the point of like, we're willing to walk away from the deal because we know our timeline is our timeline is our timeline. You cannot push things fast, especially in this day's, day and age, especially when you're trying to close a $10 million asset. It just doesn't happen quickly. And now, now here's, here's what's crazy on like bridge to perm and then regular financing. So when I talk about spawn of Satan, right? She's with the bridge department. That's the New York lawyer. She'll charge me, like I think my legal bill was like $35,000 from legal counsel, and I have to pay it, right? They include it in my cost. Now, my attorney bills was like, I don't know, $15,000, right? Not bad, but like theirs is like almost double or triple. And now if we would have done just a regular Freddie or Fannie loan, right? That expense is like $12,000. Lenders legal is now all of a sudden cheap. Now, how does that equate? I don't even know, like it doesn't make any sense but when it comes to bridge loans, they call that more risky. So they just charge you more money and they hire the most expensive lawyers that look at every little stupid detail, like a comma, and will push back on that and just like, and make your life a living hell. Now, the good news is this, like, look at me. I am nobody. And what I'll, all I've learned to do this whole time in, in multifamily investing is I've never claimed to be super smart. I've never claimed to be, I am not, I'm very ordinary and very average when it comes to like my ability. So that should give everybody a lot of freaking hope. The only thing that I'm, I would say I'm extraordinary at is I know how to find the right people. See, I'm a people person. I know how to ask intelligent questions and find great and I'm not just saying good, I'm saying great or exceptional people that work on behalf of me that I employ in my process, and then they make me look super. And I guess you could say I'm really smart for doing that because that is the one skill. I am the puppet master in my business. My main job is to raise capital, and also, and to control all the little pieces and put all the pieces together so I can do this thing that I love called multifamily investing. And you can do it too. You know, I believe that it starts with your mindset. I, always, I say this almost every podcast and I believe it to be so. Because if you are not believing that you can, you won't. You have to put in the belief in your mind that is exactly, it's possible. So take this episode, this lesson, and say,
Go out there and find your great team, people that can work for you and that will be extraordinary in your business and help you succeed. Because I know this, if you put your mind to it and you believe it and you tell yourself daily, your paradise is possible.